Tonight's Bible reading is going to be from Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Well, you may have noticed tonight that the Bible reading was quite short. Uh, As short as the Bible reading was, we're actually only going to look at one verse tonight, not actually the two of the verses. And I'd like to uh, present to you tonight that you use your imagination a bit and imagine this parable as a tweet. I don't know if they're still called tweets. I don't know if they're called an X now, that I think they changed the name of Twitter. But you know, I do, don't you? In social media, people just write out a sentence. And sometimes that sentence can actually just go viral and heaps of people around the world uh, really just are, are shocked or amazed or even disgusted by, by what people can tweet. Well, this, uh, this parable, uh, which we, I've referred to as a tweet, is a parable. It's a story of Jesus, and he uses parables in his ministry that are kind of like tweets. He just puts these parables out there that are incredibly memorable. Now, uh, we're in a series of parables, and this is just one of them, but I'm going to focus on the second half of the parable about Jesus' teaching about um, this pearl of great price. But before we look some more into that, I just want to talk a bit more about the nature and significance of parables in Jesus' teaching because even though other people at times have used parables during Jesus' time and also earlier, nobody used them to the extent that Jesus did and nobody came close to the powerful teachings of the parables of Jesus. In fact, they were so powerful that the early church, despite learning so much from Jesus' parables, hesitated to use the form themselves because they didn't want to diminish teaching because his parables were just almost unattainable. There was a bit of a a vogue uh, group in the 1970s of theologians who thought that the parables weren't actually from Jesus, but they were actually made up by the early church. Uh, But then somebody in the 80s pointed out that the early Christians didn't want to use parables because they thought the parables were so profound and amazing that they didn't want to diminish them. So actually, it's one of the reasons why quite a few non-Christian people believe Jesus actually was an individual person, because the power and the quality of these parables is just unbelievable. And so as we look at this parable today, it's very short, but it doesn't need to be any longer. The power of this message is that we are going to be given uh, a satisfactory definition of the kingdom of heaven that we will go away understanding what the kingdom of heaven is and we'll understand also that we don't understand the kingdom of heaven. See, one of the points of the parables is that we're meant to think and go, I get it, oh, hang on, I kind of don't get it. And that's why they're so remarkable because there's nothing like it in human history where a teacher can be so profound and concise all at the same time. I mean, I suppose the closest anyone got to it was probably the Gettysburg Address by Abraham Lincoln. If you've heard of that story, apparently Lincoln got up to do a speech at the opening of a graveyard in Gettysburg after a year after the battle while the war, the Civil War in America was still going on. And uh, the guy who preceded him spoke for two hours. 
and he spoke for so long that the cameraman who was getting ready to take a photo of Lincoln hadn't even bothered to completely focus the camera properly for the second speaker because he, he was sure Lincoln was going to go on for just as long. But he was so short and succinct that you could have put the whole speech on, the, on just one A4 piece of paper. And before the cameraman had got himself set up remembering the old technology, the president was already walking off the stage. And so the only photo we have of Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address is a blurry photo of a man with a tall hat. Well, if you think that is profound, it's so profound that the Americans have actually put that in their big monument to Lincoln. And you can go there today in Washington, in the heart of Washington, and stand there in front of this huge statue of Lincoln, and around the walls is the Gettysburg Address. They felt like it was almost like a defining uh, speech for the nation. And in a way, the parables are defining speeches for our Christian nation. Our citizenship is not just of this earth, but it's in heaven. And when Jesus teaches, he teaches with such authority as to illustrate and clarify the truth that he actually captures our imaginations, he directs our will, and he leads us to obedience with a sentence. Isn't that remarkable? Well, let's dive in and see if that's actually what takes place as we look at this sermon, uh, on, oh, sorry, this, uh, this parable of the pearl tonight. Uh, what it's called is often called the Merchant's Quest Parable. Uh, if you look at uh, Matthew 13, if you've already closed your Bibles, you might want to open them up again to verse 45. And this is what Jesus says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Now, this is fun. We've got a bit of time just to unpack this a little bit. First of all, why does Jesus use the word again? Is that just Jesus using like a pause? Or I've just said one thing or just say another thing that's similar? Well, it kind of is, but it's also something more profound than that. When Jesus uses the word again, what he's trying to do is emphasise continuity between his previous teachings and his current teachings. So he uses the word again quite a lot. It's a word that he really likes to use. And so he uses it to emphasise continuity, but emphasise continuity as a renewed invitation to understand something in a deeper way. Does that make sense? So when Jesus, in the passage that we had read, and we deliberately read the passage beforehand so you get a bit of an idea of what I was saying. In the passage beforehand, there's a, another story of someone finding something valuable, but this was a poor person who just stumbles upon a field and finds uh, something of great value and then just sells you know, everything he can, presumably, to buy the field so that he can have that. Well, here, the pearl's uh, acquisition is through a rich person. So Jesus is sort of saying, like, the gospel's not just for poor people who don't cut it in this world. The gospel isn't plan B for those people who haven't been able to succeed in their careers or their families or their relationships or their sport. I suppose it didn't work out for me in what I was trying to do, so I might as well just be a Christian. That's not what it's all about. To delve deeper is uh, to focus on this word again. Why does Jesus want us to look at this again? Basically, again is a gentle nudge to help us to truly listen. It's really hard to do. You come to church, some of us, uh, every week, regularly anyway, and truly listen. But there's so much noise in our culture that it's really hard to stay focused all week on the things we learn each week. If I was to ask you what, the, what was the sermon on four weeks ago, there's a good chance none of us can remember, including me, even if I gave the sermon, because life is so fast-paced. But by the way, just as a little sideline, if you ever forget what you've learned in church over the year, don't worry too much about it. 
because sermons in church and reading the Bible, having quiet times and prayerful conversations with fellow Christians are like a really nutritious diet. I can't remember what I had for dinner four weeks ago, but does that matter? No, because the substances that I ate were mostly healthy, probably, potentially, enough to sustain my life till today. And the same is true for sermons in church. You come to church and you feed on the Word of God and Jesus feeds you and helps you to keep going. That's a really nice way to think about it. So even though we keep coming back over the same teachings or look at the kingdom of heaven over and over, the idea is to try and dive deeper each time. Not only do we have a meal tonight, but we're actually wanting God to actually help to teach us and change us in a profound manner. That's what we're looking for. Now, when you look at the actual content of this passage, Jesus is actually wanting us to understand the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's the dominant theme of his teaching. When he first comes to start his earthly, uh, earthly mission, he says, I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven, repent and believe the good news. And so right through his teaching, he keeps helping us to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. And today's deep dive into the kingdom of heaven is that it is precious and it is more valuable than anything else that we can have in our life. In fact, this kingdom that Jesus brings in is a unique profession about something that nothing else can offer. Now, there's a lot of rip-offs in the world today. Someone makes something successful and someone tries to copy it. It's just how the world rolls. But nobody has been able to copy the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing that comes close to it. There are things that can uh, be like a shadow of some parts of the kingdom of heaven. They can give us excitement. They can give us some form of security. They can give us some form of truth. But there's nothing as abiding and everlasting as the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is trying to compare someone who is actually valuable in this world with this idea of the kingdom of heaven in this passage. Now, what we have in this passage is a merchant who is looking for fine pearls. The word in the Greek here is eumapros, which is significant because it's talking about someone who's like a travelling merchant. It's a very rare position in the time of Jesus. There wasn't many merchants. In our world today, there's a lot of merchants. But in the old days, there used to be really, really rich people and really, really poor people and not many people in between. The middle class was non-existent in Jesus' time, except for some of these people who were wealthy merchants. And they were able to get some kind of way ahead in this world because they were able to accumulate vast amounts of money that even the rulers of their time weren't able to do. But they had to go and pursue that sort of wealth. It didn't come easily because their society wasn't set up to create wealth for everybody. And so this merchant is described as someone who's looking for fine pearls. Notice that in the passage. So the wholesale merchant here is a traveller in pursuit of wealth a traveller who's in pursuit of wealth. And Jesus is saying that's the kingdom of heaven, that the people who are in the kingdom of heaven are travellers who are in the pursuit of wealth. Have you ever thought about that before? The kingdom of heaven is wealth. It's not earthly wealth, but it's wealth. And in the, the contrast here with the parable before is the poor man stumbling upon treasure in a field is contrasted with a wealthy merchant who's actually discerning and knows what he looks for. He knows what he wants to get. And the heart of the merchant is that he's on the lookout for something that is not just valuable, but also something that's beautiful, 
So there's lots of valuable things this merchant could pursue. Lots of valuable things. But there's not many things that are as beautiful as a pearl. Isn't it amazing that a piece of grit gets stuck in a shell of an oyster or whatever it might be? And that oyster's irritation with that means that it actually covers it with something that's smooth and silky and almost divine. When you crack open an oyster, all you expect to see is just a little oyster. But if you crack open an oyster and a pearl is in there, it's just this disgusting, grotty thing that lives on the bottom of the ocean that has this disgusting oyster, which tastes nice, but it's grotty. And you open it up, and there, in the least expected place, is this thing of fine beauty. People even today who are looking for pearls have to look amongst the grotty ocean floor for the sea-level dwellers, the oysters, to find precious pearls. See, sometimes precious things aren't where you expect them to be. And our world doesn't expect to see the most valuable thing that a human could actually own within the teaching of Jesus, within Christianity. It's often seen as something that um, we've moved on from. It's out of date, it's old-fashioned, maybe even unhelpful. But this merchant is clever because he's looking for something and he's used to looking for this thing in places where you don't usually find valuable things. You see, this, this guy is on the lookout for something valuable, but it's also beautiful. And I think even Christians forget that the kingdom of heaven is not just valuable, but it's also beautiful. Uh, when I showed you those Jesus beads tonight on the screen, when I got to the red one, that Jesus died on a cross and his blood pays for our sin, and all of us who put our faith in him actually don't have to perish but have eternal life because we trust that he's paid for our sin and that God doesn't actually remember our sin anymore. He takes us throws it as far as the east if we say sorry and say we trust Jesus' death to pay for us. That's all we need to do to get into heaven. Isn't that a strange place to look for eternal life? Someone who's being executed in an execution field. It's kind of like the oyster and the pearl, isn't it? You see the depth to the teaching of Jesus, how, how there's so much stuff there to think about. But not only is the merchant just sort of casually on the lookout for pearls, he's got a systematic quest. See, it says there that he's looking for pearls. He's not on a journey, and if he happens to find a pearl in a strange place, he'll go, great, that's cool. He's on the lookout for fine pearls. And he finds them in unexpected places because he's on a systematic quest. He knows that they're going to be found in a strange place. So he has what I'd like to call a venturesome faith. A venturesome faith. He's on an adventure. He's intentionally seeking the kingdom. Now, I think the problem for us in Australia is that we can feel like, yes, I've become a Christian, and then Christianity can be a little bit like a bus pass that I put in my pocket. Okay, I've become a Christian. I've said sorry for my sins. God's forgiven me. And... Uh, don't have an opal card, I don't think, anymore. Do I? Let's have a look. I look for my opal card and I think to myself, if I ever need to catch a train, I don't have an opal card. I think you can tap on with your visa card now, yeah? So let's get the visa card out. That's in my pocket because I know to myself that if I need to catch a train, I can just get on the train, right? Is Christianity like that? Is the kingdom of heaven like that? I'm going to heaven. I've said sorry to God for my sins. I remind myself every week that I have victory over sin and I repent with everyone in the church. And Stu said, that's the highlight of the service, to remind us that we're forgiven and we can go to heaven. Is that when eternity starts, like when I get there? 
Well, what we teach with the yellow bead is the adventure starts now with the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and he actually gives us a passion for the kingdom that we go deeper and deeper and deeper into searching for the kingdom for the rest of our lives and we call that sanctification. It's a systematic quest. Now, when we have a systematic quest, the second part of the verse there, 45b, is that we have an unexpected discovery. You see that? Systematic quest leads to an, un, uh, uh, an unexpected discovery. It's not maybe an unexpected discovery. Jesus isn't saying here the merchant looked for a beautiful bead and he happened upon one. Or, you know, it's like he, he, it was his lucky day. <laughs> There's actually a really direct connection between looking and finding. If you seek, you will find. Jesus actually says elsewhere uh, that if, behold, I stand at the door and knock, he who opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. There's this idea that Jesus is actually not some strange mythical teaching or some strange philosophy that I've got to get my head around. He's a person. He is like a fine pearl. In fact, the kingdom of heaven that's described here is this merchant is equivalently finding Jesus to find Jesus is to find beauty and goodness all in the same place in an unexpected place to find rarity and significance and to actually have something that is the most valuable and beautiful thing that the world has ever seen but again sometimes we forget that as Christians that's why the word again is there when we read the parables in church it's because we need to keep reading them because if we don't keep reading them, we forget the significance of it. We wouldn't put the pearl in our back pocket like a card for a bus. We would actually put the pearl on show. I've seen people wear a pearl around their neck. I saw a coronation where a king had some pearls on his headdress, on his crown. I've seen people put pearls in displays. When you get something that is beautiful and, and just so valuable, it's not something you hide away. So the secret here to understanding this message is that a pearl is actually something that you enjoy every day. That's why Jesus is saying you don't want to forget that you have it. Because if you forget that you have it, you'll start thinking you need valuable things and you'll look for something else somewhere else. It's a good pause for us, isn't it, just to think, is there anything in your life that's more valuable than the pearl? Is there anything at the moment that you put more effort into, more time thinking about, and let it cost you more than a pearl of the kingdom of heaven. See, the heart of this parable is that the true star of this sentence isn't the merchant who finds the pearl, it's the pearl itself. The pearl is the standout of this little sent sentence. And the pearl is a reminder to us to again rediscover the intrinsic value of the kingdom of heaven. Now, in order to have this pearl... We need to be on a journey. We need to be constantly remembering that we need to be looking for the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go. And one of the reasons I really like the Jesus beads is that's a reminder of me, oh, that's right, I'm a Christian. So as well as being a good tool for me to go, hey, here's something I can tell a non-Christian, I'm in the middle of watching TV and chewing down on a ham and cheese and tomato toasted sandwich. And I'm sitting on the lounge, couldn't be thinking less about the kingdom of heaven i'm probably watching reruns of magnum which i'm tending to do at the moment as well don't know if you've ever heard of that show 
If you've never heard of it, do yourself a favour, 1980s classic. Back in the days when men wear rule shorts, that were rule short, had big, big cheesy moustaches, drove fast red cars, got the crooks. It's a good show. I'm sitting there on the lounge eating my cheese and tomato sandwich. Do I need to think about Kingdom of Heaven or do I put it in my back pocket for a couple of hours so I can relax? Well, let me ask you the question. How do you think of the Kingdom of Heaven while you're watching Magnum? You're probably saying that's a really difficult example, Stuart. I've got no idea. The answer I've got is I don't know either. And I'm saying that deliberately because that's how Jesus' teaching is meant to get us to think. How do you think of the kingdom of heaven when you're standing on the train holding on to a slippery, yucky steel pole that about 50 people have held this morning already and you're thinking, what sort of diseases am I going to get from this? I don't know if you've thought that or I've thought that when I hold on to those things. Maybe it's just me. But what, what has the kingdom of heaven got to mean to you in that moment? I don't know. But isn't it better to search for the kingdom of heaven in each moment of our lives rather than just think, I'll wait till Saturday to think about it? That's my question to you tonight. The thing about the merchant is he's relinquished everything for this pearl. He's so focused on it. He's like, I'm going to get this pearl. I'm going to go on a journey to go and look for it. And I want to encourage you today to think about your Christian life as something that doesn't stand still. Unfortunately, a lot of people my age have done their Christian learning in the past. Even if you go to Bible study, when you're in Bible study, do you just re-parrot things that you've heard before so that you can teach other people things? Or do you actually think to yourself, I actually want to learn something new about the Kingdom of Heaven this year? Do you have that stance in your Christian life? Are you thinking, when I was in youth group, I learnt everything? When I was in Sunday school, I learnt everything I need to know about Christianity. And for the last 20 years, I haven't learned a thing. Well, I think this parable is putting the word again into your heart. Think about the word again every day. Hey, again, let's look at the kingdom of heaven today. Again, let's look at the kingdom of heaven today. When you get in the car and you're just about to choose what sort of podcast you want to listen to, think of the kingdom of heaven. What is that going to lead you to do? I don't know. But importantly, if you are thinking about the kingdom of heaven, then God will actually show you what he wants you to think about. He will reveal the pearl. If you're available to the Holy Spirit's work, he will use you in your daily life. You might be on the train holding onto the pole thinking, what's this got to do with the kingdom of heaven? And you notice someone just gently crying in the corner of the train. Now, you might look at that person and think, they don't want me to obviously go over there and tell them the Jesus beads. But you know what you might do is you just might, when you catch their eye, you just might smile with compassion might be the first smile that person's had all day. They may have come from a terrible argument at home and they're actually not sure how they can go to work today, but they've got themselves on the train and you're there and you're thinking of the kingdom of heaven and they're there needing someone to love them. What are we willing to give up for the kingdom of heaven? The answer is selfishness. The answer is your own perspective. The answer is constantly pursuing what you think are important values. But look for the pearls in the kingdom of heaven and you will find things. But you'll need to sacrifice. Here's an example. I was on a train one day and I was going into a meeting with uh, the staff from Guymer Anglican Church. Very important conference we were going to. We're very important people because we're pastors going to a conference. And I'm sitting in one of those uh, three, three sections in the train. 
and there was one seat left and it was in front of me and I've got long legs and I'm hoping and actually praying the opposite of the kingdom of heaven. I was praying no one would sit there. I actually did. Dear God, please don't let anyone sit there. Amen. Anyway, lo and behold, this lady pushes through the other two guys, pushes into the middle, sits right in front of me. I'm like, oh, you're kidding. And you know what the worst part was? You know when you've got to do the knee, 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 knee thing? Have you ever done the knee, 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 knee thing? I hate it. Like she put her knee there and then my knee was there and then there was another knee there and then my knee was like, this is really weird. Now we weren't so close that those knees were actually touching each other but they were all there, like lined up. <laughs> and that was within my boundary. Like don't get in my space, this is my personal space. But it was a knee, 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 it's the worst. You may never have thought of that before but think about it next time you get on a train. Sit appropriately people, plan ahead. I'm sitting there and in front of me, to make matters worse, she starts crying. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're kidding, aren't you? Where's the kingdom of heaven there? Nowhere. I'm going to an important Christian conference. I don't want to be distracted. I want to talk about theology with the rest of the team. And this lady starts crying. Oh. And she looks at me and she says, what are you off to? I said, oh, I'm just going to the city. I said, what are you off to? She says, I'm going to a new job. I'll be real quick because we don't have much time, but it went for a long time, the story. Basically, she was a lesbian lady who'd left Sydney 20 years earlier to be with her girlfriend. Her father, who was a Christian minister, kicked her out of the house and then she went to Perth because that's the furthest she could think of getting away from Sydney to get away from her mum and dad. She lived with her girlfriend, this is before same-sex marriage, she lived with her girlfriend for 10 years and then they broke up and she has nothing left in the world. That lady was her whole life and she's got nothing. So she's come back to Sydney, didn't tell her parents, and she's looking for a job. And there she was, sitting in front of me, telling me this story. But not only was there knee, 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 she was also one of those kind of touchy people. And she kept touching my knee, saying, this is what happened next, and this is what happened next. I'm like, oh, you're touching my knee. But the more she touched my knee, the more I actually started going, far out. That's hard, eh? And I just said to her, that must be really, really hard. And she said, oh, thank you so much for saying that. You're the first nice person I've met in Sydney since I've got back. In fact, you're the first person I've talked to. And now I'm going into this meeting and I'm really scared I'm not going to get the job. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, if you just go in with the confidence you just told me that story, I reckon you'll have a ripper of a chance. Because I've been really interested in everything you've just said and I feel really sad for what you must be feeling. And she's like... That's really nice, thank you. I wonder if this was meant to be. I wonder if the universe put you here so that the universe could talk to me and tell me that everything's going to be all right. I'm like, what do I say now? I didn't have to say anything, actually, because the next thing she said was, what do you do for a job? <laughs> I'm like, I looked at her in the eye and I said, I'm a Christian minister. And she started crying. And she said, are you kidding? I said, no. She said, you're not a Sydney Anglican, are you? And I said, yes, yes, I am a Sydney Anglican. She got up and she came and she gave me an awkward hug. And she said, thank you so much. Now, can you imagine my staff team? No, I wasn't the boss. I was in the staff team. They're all looking, going, this girl's touching Stu's leg and she's crying and now she's hugging him awkwardly and there's the knee, 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 knee thing going on. <laughs> it was awkward for me. I'm like, ooh, this is like, they're thinking this is weird. And, you know, we got off the train 
and we stood on the platform and she gave me the most enormous hug and she said, thank you so much. I feel ready to go and, and go into this interview. And she said, it's really nice that I've actually met a really nice Anglican minister. That's really healing. And I said, is it? And she said, yeah. And I, I should have said something more profound. I should have gave her the gospel or I should have. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe it was just all right to take a hug. And I said to her, can I pray for you as you go to your job? She said, I'd really appreciate that. And I've never seen her again. I don't know if she ever got that job. That was 10 years ago. I don't know what she's doing tonight. But that was not the universe sending someone to her. That was Jesus growing his kingdom. Yeah? See, he loves his kingdom even more than we do. And the only thing he wants is that kingdom to be huge. And all he asks us to do is partner with him. Once we find this beautiful pearl, be willing to keep looking at how we can share it with other people. I'm going to finish with a quick story. Um, there's a, a documentary on Netflix that's just come out. It's about deep divers. Have you seen it? Yep, free diving. Have you heard of free diving? These people, uh, apparently the world record is that somebody's gone down to 285 metres. Now, the interesting thing about that, that comes from a Japanese pearl diving industry that only women do in Japan called Ama. And the Ama are the divers of Osatsu. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we might get some correction later on the internet about whether I pronounce this right. But the armour di divers are literally women of the sea and they've been around for about 2,000 years. And do you know why they dive underwater? They go looking for pearls. They're pearl divers. I thought that'd be a nice story to finish the sermon on tonight. The oldest pearl diver in Japan at the moment is a lady called Ri Ryako and she's 85 years old. And she's retired from diving now because she stopped when she was 80. She started when she was 14. First thing I want to tell this story for is, can you imagine someone is so passionate about getting pearls that they would spend the whole of their life diving for pearls until they were 80? The first thing I want to say is, you see a little parallel here with Jesus' parable? If you think pearls are so valuable, you can't stop diving for them. It's not that you have to. It's not that you should. You just want to. See, if you keep that little word again in your heart every day, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. It goes from lowercase to caps. And then it, the font starts increasing from 8 to 12 to 14 to 16 to 18. My guess is this lady's font for Pearl has actually taken over the whole of her body. That's her complete identity. Well, anyway, she's quite proud of what she does. She says, men can't do our job, she says proudly. They don't have the same body fat as women and they can't stand the cold. <laughs> Instead, the man's job was and is to sit aboard the boat from which the rope is attached to the diver who makes for the seabed with a knife surfacing to throw her catch into a floating wooden bucket. Now, I think there's a photo of it up there. I don't know if it came through to the thing of these ladies diving. But the interesting thing is that the free diving world champions have been so inspired by these pearl divers that they put their bodies under the same exertion. The interesting thing is that when you go into a descent deep under the water, you can actually dive as far as the light can penetrate. You can go further into the darkness. Now, my question around that is, again, this little metaphor I want to hang out here tonight, is be willing to go beyond the light and the known into the search for the pearl. Be willing to go into the darkness. Let it cost you. 
Don't just think that all the pearls are up here. They're actually down there in the dark. Well, when they go into the descent, the water pressure places the lungs in a vice. On a way back, they expand, dissipating the remaining oxygen. If levels drop too low and not enough moves into the bloodstream, unconsciousness swiftly follows. Nobody knows better than Austrian Herbert Nitsch. In 2012, he plunged 253.2 metres off Sanatoria in the world record at that time, but his moment of triumph bordered on tragedy as he was stricken by decompression sickness and had to be rushed to decompression chamber, narrowly escaping with severe brain damage. I'm not advocating freediving, but my goodness, hasn't the font of again got big in his life? Presumably, he was a little kid at some stage who just jumped off a jetty. And while he was underwater, he's like, this is all right, eh? I'm going to go deeper. Why? I don't know, but he did. And the deeper he went, the deeper he wanted to go. That's the word again. Fellow freediving champion Natalia Morolovchev <laughs> was not so fortunate. I do apologise, not pronounce that properly. Was not so fortunate, though. She vanished during one recreational dive three years later. But she is still remembered for her verdict on her chosen sport. Freediving is not only a sport, it's a way to understand who we are. And that's why I wanted to just draw that parable into the end. Not to try and make another parable that would come anywhere near Jesus' parable. But I want to ask you, is the kingdom of heaven a way to understand who you are? Isn't that a beautiful way to put again in your heart? So you get to understand who you are again and again and again every new day when you put the kingdom of heaven first. When you see its beauty and its treasure and you want to know it better. It actually helps you to understand yourself. And tonight I want to invite you to reflect on your own spiritual journey. Has Jesus' parable illustrated the kingdom of heaven with clarity and truth to you tonight? Has it captured your imagination? Could this idea of again actually direct your will this week? And will it claim your obedience? They're really interesting questions that I want to leave you with as we finish. And I'm going to close in prayer for us now. Lord God, we're praying for discernment tonight to recognise the value of the kingdom in our lives. And we seek your strength to prioritise your kingdom over all earthly treasures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.